Good morning, Generations Church. Welcome back to online service. I'm glad you're joining us here. Uh, whether you're here or you're outside joining us in person, we're really incredibly glad to be with you. Today, we are in Exodus chapter 11. We're picking up where we left off last week. Last week, we covered nine of the 10 plagues in Egypt. If you're unfamiliar with this story or you're joining us for the first time, we're in the book of Exodus, which is the story of God liberating the people from slavery out of Egypt. And so the main idea in our Exodus series, how God, our Exodus series, excuse me, is how God reveals his character to us uniquely in hard times. And when I say that, it's, it's different than God can do in maybe normal times. So how we press in, how we look for God in challenging times like coronavirus or, again, elections or all the different things we're going through right now, how God reveals himself in these moments is often different than he does in normal times, if you will. So a main idea for today is redemption. God brings life through death. God will use mass death in Egypt to bring life to Israel. In this way, we see how God can redeem situations for his glory and our good. This essentially points us forward to the crucifixion and resurrection. This from death to life motif begins way back in Genesis, but Exodus brings it to life for us. In this in this Passover story today that we read about, we get this from death comes life idea that carries us all the way through the gospel and all the way through scriptures. So if you'll pray with me, we can get started. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. Lord, even if we're distant, if we're apart, uh, whether that be due to health reasons or restrictions or distance, uh, even where we live, Lord, in-state, out-of-state, all those things, we're grateful we have this way to gather Lord, I know we are, we are weary and tired of the screen time. Uh, we are often frustrated by it. Technology often uh, is, a, is a hassle, even when it's such a blessing. And so, God, for all of those that are joining online today, I pray that this would be a time of blessing, a time of refreshment, even though we're doing it dist uh, from distance. So, God, will you bless our time together? Will you bless our time in the Word as we work through this amazing passage about the Passover, Lord? I thank you. Will you speak, and will you allow me to get out of the way so that you can speak to us because we need you, God? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 11 is where we're starting, right there in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh in Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So here's where we're picking up the story. If you're just joining us today for the first time, or you need a recap from last week, Israel's been crying out to God. God has prepared a plan for them. And this plan includes plaguing Egypt over and over again while still simultaneously hardening Pharaoh's heart. So God is hardening Pharaoh's heart for, his, for a purpose that God has. And so God is doing this. And finally today, now God is saying, listen, I've been telling you, go do this, but, but Pharaoh's not going to let you go yet. Today, today's the day, right? Today, God tells Moses, this is the one. This is the plague that's going to do it. This is going to be how I liberate my people from oppression. So verse 2, it says, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So remember, I've been talking about this in prior messages that Ultimately, what's going to happen is God is going to have them, is going to have Egypt pay the Israelites to leave. So here's where we're starting 
Israel is our slaves in Egypt. They're servants, right? They are a free labor force for Pharaoh to build his big, massive cities. And while they're enslaved, they cry out to God. And, and instead of God just letting them go, or instead of Egypt being compliant, God says, I have a better, a greater plan. And, and here's what we need to kind of understand our role in this story. Sometimes God has a greater plan. Our prayer God, please let coronavirus be over. Or God, please help us with the racial tensions in America. Or God, politics or bananas and everybody's crazy on both sides. God, help, right? And what we ultimately want is an immediate answer. We always want that immediate answer. Lord, please help me. My wife is sick. Will you, will you God, heal her? We want that immediate answer, right? Well, so does Israel. They want that immediate relief from slavery. But God has a better plan. And when you're in the midst of the struggle, sometimes you, you don't understand the better plan, right? Or you don't even know there's a better plan. And so it's trusting in God, believing in God, knowing he's always there, that he knows all things, that he causes things for his glory and our good, that he is present with us, that he is good, that he is going to restore his people, and, and today, that he will redeem his people. And so as we're doing this, we find ourselves in the midst of our own trials here at home, modern day 2020. And so as we look at the story of Israel and we watch, we, we try and place ourselves in the shoes, if you will, of the Israelites. When they cry out to God and the answer isn't immediate, what we find out today is that God has had a better plan all along. And it says this, ask every one of you to go to the, to go to the people in Egypt and ask for their jewelry. They're going to give you gold and silver, right? And it says they go and they ask and the Egyptians give them gold and silver. And you've got to understand the place and the story. There's been nine plagues. Right? There's been locusts and frogs and darkness covering the land for days, and all this stuff has taken place. The Egyptians are saying, here, listen, take anything you want, just please go and ask God to take away all these plagues, right? But Pharaoh's dragging this out. I love this line. It says, Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. If you go back to the beginning, when God calls Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh Tell the people of Israel, I'm going to deliver them. And Moses says, nobody's going to believe me. Who am I, God? Right? I mean, like, we can all hear ourselves in that. Like, okay, God, why would you want to use me? I mean, there's so many better choices, right? There's people out there that are smarter than me, better than me, better looking than me, better spoken than me, whatever it might be. Why, God, would you use me? And that was really Moses' point. And God says, well, I, you know, I, I use broken humans, right? People with real lives and real problems and real strengths and real weaknesses, but I use real people, and that's how I am glorified instead of people. But I love what it says, even after all of this, Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. So if you're a note taker, here's a note for you, and this is in our church app if you want to look it up. God's plan is bigger than our own plan. God has repeatedly told Moses, Aaron, and Israel that the plan is to glorify God and to be good for Israel. In other words, God's plan will glorify God, and it'll be good for Israel, right? God is now revealing how good it is for Israel as they will leave a wealthy nation paid by Egypt to leave. Verse 4, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, and from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. 
And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Here's what Moses tells Pharaoh. God says, here's the deal, one last plague. I'm going to take the firstborn in all of Egypt. Like, I'm going to kill the firstborn man, the firstborn animal, everything in all of Egypt, except it will not affect my people. No one will die. Not even a dog will growl against them, he says. And so Pharaoh is hot. Pharaoh is angry. And Pharaoh, like, kind of boots Moses out, like, get out, get out from my presence. And so this is how this final plague ends. God says, I'm going to strike down the firstborn in all of Egypt, but I'm going to protect my people. God makes a distinction, right? And a lot of times in church, we talk about what God is calling us to do or what God promises us or how things will work for us. And we have to ask the question, like, well, then who is the us? Like, who are the we in this story? And it's always God's people. These aren't generic blessings for anyone. And, and there are those. Anyone in the world gets to enjoy the sunlight God provides, right? Everybody on the planet provide, uh, enjoys the air we breathe that God gives to us. If you're alive, it's a blessing from God. But then when it comes down to unique, what we would call covenantal things between God's people and God, like God's protection, God's will, God's sovereignty over us, God's plan for us, our obedience to God. That's that special covenantal relationship. It's kind of the distinction between me and, and a bunch of people I don't know, and then my relationship with my wife or my staff here at the church or my friends or whatever it might be. That there's a distinction in those relationships. And God is saying, listen, here's the distinction. Egypt, I'm going to put a plague on you to deliver my people. But Israel, you're my people. I'm going to cover you. The church today are those people, the, the, those are God's people, Christ's church, right? And so there's a unique calling to us, but there's also unique advantage to that, if you will, a unique blessing in that. So back here in Exodus, verse 9, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. What's been great about this story all the way, these first 10 chapters up until now, is, uh, including chapter 11, uh, is that God has been all along saying, he's not going to listen, he's not going to listen, he's not going to listen, he won't listen right now, but this is the final plague. After that, he's going to release you. And I like that because God's been right every time, God will be right this time. And 11 chapters in, here's what we know, God knows what's going on, and God is causing what's going on. It's kind of that simple bumper sticker-ish, God is in control, right? God is proving he is in control. So Exodus 12, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be, a month, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Here's what God is saying. Like, we're starting a whole new chapter between me and you right now. This is going to be a brand new start. Verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each of you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without a blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you will keep it until the 14th day of the month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, the houses in which they eat it. Now, we recently went through this passage um, just a few months ago. And so I'm going to go quickly through it. We're going to cover uh, two and a half chapters kind of today. So we'll go quickly. But the story of Passover is what this is. And, and it's, it tells this story as the servants in Israel, as the, as the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And God is delivering the final plague, the one that breaks Pharaoh, uh, is this plague. And, but for, it's a plague to Egypt for, for Israel it's an amazing story of God's goodness. So if you're on Egypt's side, and remember, distinction in people. So if you're Egypt, if you're Pharaoh, this is a horrible story, right? But if you're God's people and, you're God's, and God has protected you and blessed you, it's an amazing story. And so that's where we kind of are in this. But there's, a, there's an important part that connects the two stories, and it's death. Right? We talked about redemption today, from death to life. Death is what connects the two stories. So this is really about the first death. There's going to be the death of a lamb. You're going to take a lamb, you're going to bring it into your house, you're going to slaughter it. And if your family is small, you're going to buddy up with your neighbor, you guys are going to share a lamb, and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to take the lamb's life. You're going to, so you're going to slice the throat of the, of the lamb, and that, that you'll do it in the doorway of your home, and, and it will obviously bleed into a pool at the, at the bottom of your doorway. And you're going to take these branches, you're going to paint the top, and you're going to paint the two doorposts. Now I want you to just, in your in your in your own mind right now, you could probably see what's coming, but you can, you can see a cross, right, in these four points on a door. And as we look at this, this is called God's Passover lamb, and it's Israel's protection. See, instead of them dying, a lamb will die. You can see this, this motif of death from life, or life from death, excuse me, building already in this story. So verse 8, they shall eat of the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its leg and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land in Egypt both man and beast, and on all the gods or idols of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So here's what God is saying. You're going to do this, and while you're doing this, you're going to use that lamb, you're going to make a barbecue, you're going to have a meal, but this meal, here's how I want you to do it. And, and the important part I want you to hear is do it ready to go, because this is what's going to break Pharaoh, and I will deliver you. Right? God all along has said, listen, this plague, but Pharaoh's not going to listen. This plague, but Pharaoh's not going to listen. Now God is saying, clearly, this is the plague. And so when we do this, be prepared. He says this, you shall eat it in haste. Be ready for what I'm going to do, right? Remember, we're in this series in Exodus, and we're talking about how God reveals himself uniquely in hard times. And I would say in ways that God, in ways that we're not looking for God in maybe easier or more normal times. It's like this. It's like, are you ready? Are you prepared to hear from God in this hard season? They're still slaves in Egypt, and they're going to have this meal, but they're going to do it ready for God to act, right? And then God says this, I am the Lord. This is God proclaiming his character to the people, right? He's using abnormal circumstances to reveal himself to them. He's using their hardship to tell them, I know the, the heart of Pharaoh, I know the future, I caused this. 
I will do miraculous things. Here's what I'll do. God is revealing his character through all of this hardship. So he reminds them, I am the Lord. And it stands in contrast to all the false idols of Egypt. Even Pharaoh, who is considered a god or an idol, a, a, a god or a deity in Egypt. And so is his firstborn son that will become Pharaoh when he dies. And that divinity kind of thing will pass on to him. So God is saying, I am the Lord. Pharaoh's fake, right? Pharaoh's not a true God. I am the Lord. I am God. And God is standing out like, listen, I do this. Here's who I am. Here is my character. Here's what I will do for you. Your job, just obey what I tell you. I will guide you through all of it. So here is a note for you. God's character revealed. God shows his ability to both take and preserve life. From our perspective, hard circumstances become challenges. But from God's perspective, they are opportunities to reveal himself to us in powerful ways, right? Slavery for Israel is an obstacle. It's a problem, right? It's a challenge in their life, to say the least. But for God, it's not a challenge. It's not an obstacle. It's not even a thing. It's like God, God's, God's showing them, I have this. I'm going to take you out. I've got you covered. You'll know it's me because I'm going to tell you exactly how I'll do it. Back in Exodus verse 13, it says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses and where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So again, we've got this blood on the doorposts. And so again, just looking forward, you can see this cross, blood on the ground, blood on the, on the, on the top of the door, and then blood on the two side posts, the, the doorposts, right? And so you can see this image that is covering them, that is protecting them. And you start to see the gospel take shape even back in Exodus, right? Verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you will keep it as a feast. He says, this day will be remembered by you forever. It's not just that you'll remember it and you'll tell your kids, but I'm telling you, I want you to remember it. I'm revealing myself to you. God is revealing his character. This needs to be passed on to future generations. The idea is, I don't want to do this again. I want you to tell your son, your daughter, your, grand, your grandson, your granddaughter, your great-grandkids, I want you to tell them about me, not enslave people all the time so I can deliver them and reveal myself to them. So you're going to remember this. You're going to do this meal over and over every year. So here's how God tells them to celebrate this in the future generations. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for anyone who eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person should be cut off from Israel. Leaven here is a symbol for sin. And so it's kind of purging sin by removing leaven in the home for a week. Verse 16, on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. So you're going to gather and worship, right? No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. So you're going to barbecue, you're going to cook, you're going to eat together, but you're not going to work. This is going to be a holy day. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. So God is saying on the, on, in the future, this is going to be the day you celebrate that I brought you out of Egypt, right? In the first month on the 14th day, verse 18, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month on the, at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eat with his leaven, that person should be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. So think instead of bread that's fluffy, think crackers. And the idea here is you're going to abstain from that. It's going to remind you that there's always sin that needs to be purged, right? There's always sin that needs to go. There's always something we need to repent of. 
right? And all these details kind of give you an image of, like, I don't know what your traditions are necessarily in, in your homes or in the past, but at Generations, we've developed some traditions around Christmas, around Easter. This year, not so much. Easter kind of came and went without a lot of that. Uh, we didn't get to do Palm Sunday or Passion Week or any of those things we normally do. We're hoping that Christmas will look different, right? We've got a couple months, and, and hopefully Christmas will look different. We'll be able to gather back together, maybe do our candlelight service that we love to do. But it's those traditions that remind us of who God is. It reminds us of the gospel. And so God is building in how they will celebrate, how they will remember him. Verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Moses says, okay, now go kill your lamb. Like now is the time, go do it, right? And, and I just, again, I, I want to point out, this is the first death. We've been talking about it up until now. Here's how you'll do it. And when you slaughter your lamb, here's what you'll do with the blood. You'll paint, right, the image that you get, right? You, you'll have the body, you'll paint the top, of the, the header of the door. You'll paint the doorpost. This is what you'll do. But now, now it's go time. And Moses is to tell the people, okay, go slaughter your Passover lamb. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel or the head and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So paint the doors, right? This is rich with symbolism of the gospel of Jesus' death on a cross, right? Passover, the Lord will pass over you. It says, when he sees the blood, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So here's the point. Death begets life, right? Death here causes life to remain inside that home. But you can't go outside. Like death is going to rip through the cities or the nation or the kingdom of Egypt. It's like right now when we walk outside because of the fires, you can smell the fire in the air. You can see it. Imagine there was no fires, but there was this thing just ripping through the nation, right? And it's death. And as it goes by each house, as it goes by each door, it's looking, and there's a mark here, and it passes over, and there's a mark here, and it passes over. When it gets over here, and here's the Egyptian homes, and there's no marker, there's no blood covering that door, and the firstborn in that house dies, and the firstborn of all their animals, all of that dies. And death is sweeping through Egypt. So the first death is this lamb, but it protects you from the second death when the destroyer rips through the nation. Verse 24 says, You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. You shall do this and remember this, right? And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is in the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house of the people in Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. He says in the future, what you're going to do is you're going to tell the kids how death passed over, how God protected us, how God delivered us, but how death passed over us. I love this line. What, what the response is right here is beautiful. It says they bowed their heads and worshiped. When God reveals himself, when God speaks, the, the appropriate response is always worship. We always should celebrate who God is because of who God is. And so at church here, we, 
We open with a couple songs. We close with more worship than we do on the front end. And, and in other churches, that's not the same. It's not to make anybody right or wrong, but here's why we do it. When God shows up in Scripture, almost always, when God shows up, when God speaks or when God does something amazing, the people respond in worship. And so what we do is we show up anticipating, like eating the meal, ready to roll. Like we show up to church or we show up even to online church. We show up waiting for God to speak. And then our natural response when God speaks to us, whether it convicts us of sin or uh, encourages us or reminds us of his goodness and his promise over us, whatever it might be, when God shows up, we respond in worship. They bow their heads. They worship because they know this is God. Verse 28 says, The people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. I love that line about worship, but then this line also just as important. They went and did everything they were told to do. They moved from worship to obedience, right? It's not enough that God has revealed himself. It's not enough that we understand that God has revealed himself to us. It's important that we respond to God, that we worship God, and then we go and we act on what it is God has called us to. God has convicted us of something, then we take that opportunity right now. We, we stop that. We repent of that. We lay that down at the feet of God and say, hey, okay, I want out. I want to follow you. Whatever would hold me back from you, I want, to, I want to set that aside, God. Help me follow you. They worship, they obey. It's a beautiful image of how we should live in response to God. Verse 29, it says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. So death goes sweeping through Egypt, and literally everyone, just imagine what it would be like if all of us listening right now, if just overnight, we all lost the firstborn. Like whatever that was, they all died. Like imagine that mass death sweeping through a nation. This would dwarf coronavirus. This would dwarf 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. This would be kind of thing overnight, just I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are dying. Animals, humans, everything. There's just death sweeping through Egypt, but not through the people of God. You see, this is that gospel message. This is that pointing us forward to Jesus. This is that Christ in the Old Testament that we know that the gospel is the same back then, the same as yesterday, the same today, the same tomorrow, that the gospel is always the way back to God, that, that the gospel message is that God loves us, that he created us, he designed us. He desires this relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be hard-hearted Egypt. He wants us to be obedient Israel, right? It has nothing to do with nations. It has to do with our hearts, that we would love him, pursue him, follow him, listen, look for him, allow, just have our eyes open when he wants to reveal himself to us. But all of us have sinned. All of us have hardened our hearts towards God. All of us have turned and walked away. Right? The, gospel, uh, uh, the New Testament in Romans says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? But it also says that, that Jesus died for us, that he came and he lived a sinless life, a life we've been called to live, but we fail. And then he was stretched out and hung on a cross and died on a cross, that death that he paid for us. And then he was laid in a grave so that we would know our sins are covered. Now, let's just push pause in the gospel for a minute. Let's go back to Exodus. 
You see, the first death was the lamb. The second death was the humans, the animals, was, was the Egyptians. But there was a choice for everyone there. The choice was, do I take the lamb and the covering of the lamb over the door, or do I take my chances with death? Do I take my chances with God? With God not being on my side, with God not passing over me. So you have the first death or the second death. Now just fast forward to us again. And, and here we are in that same story, the first death. There's that death that Jesus died for you, for me. We either can live inside of that, let that cover us, let that be on our doorway, let everything pass over us because Christ has taken our penalty. Or are we going at ourselves and we're just going to take our chances with God? And the gospel obviously is that story that without Jesus, we can't be near God. There's two verses I want to read you. John 1 says this, and John, meaning John the Baptist, looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Like he knew this is Jesus. All the way back to that Passover lamb is what John the Baptist is talking about. Behold, the Lamb of God. Like the lamb and Passover, it was just a sign pointing us to Jesus that really ultimately would never be fulfilled. That a lamb could never take our place. But Jesus would come and be the Lamb of God trading himself for us. God in human flesh will trade his life for ours. The second verse I want is Romans 6, 23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can take the death, but there's a free gift. There is a free gospel. Jesus gave his life for you, for me. It is free to let Jesus be that covering over us. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, it's just believing in him, that he lived and he died and he rose again. It's, it's believing that he did so to cover your sin. It's, it's believing that, you're a, that you have sin, that you're in need of a savior. It's just believing and then allowing God, asking God, please, through Jesus, will you transform me? Will you make me your own? I want to be obedient. I want to worship like we see in scripture. That's the gospel. It's simple. It will then take a lifetime of implication in our lives, and it is beautiful, and it has unending, uh, like I said, unending implication in our lives, but it's just simple in its essence. As we go on and we go on, as, as we run into things, we're constantly pressed back to the gospel, reminding ourselves it's not us, it's Jesus, that we lay our sin down, that Jesus has covered that, and we repent and we go on. So back in Exodus, verse 31 it says this, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also, I love that, like, I can just imagine, he's like, get out, like, go, take your animals, take the people, get out, wait, and bless me too, like, like it feels like Pharaoh's on the end, like, whoa, before you go, one last thing, hey, say a prayer for me, because everybody just died, the firstborn in every household just died. My son just died. Tell God, we blessed God to bless me. Death personally strikes everyone, including Pharaoh. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Death personally experienced by all of Israel. The second death, right? Death comes ripping through there, and the people that are not God's people all suffer that. Here's what's interesting, in the week, and last week we talked about this, that people in Egypt started responding when God would do something. In fact, God gave them the option, like, hey, 
Here's all you got to do. Go inside, and the, the big softball-sized hail that's going to come down won't kill you. All you got to do is listen to me. And some went in and didn't suffer the penalty. Others stayed out and suffered the penalty. Then the Egyptians start to turn to Pharaoh and like, hey, why don't you do something about this? Because you're destroying our nation. Like, submit to God. Somewhere out there, the Egyptians are starting to believe in God. They're starting to come to faith. They're starting to see this like, okay, all our false gods not working. Pharaoh, not working so much, right? This God, the God of the Israelites, this guy is amazing. This God is powerful, right? God is revealing himself. Verse 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them. They were obedient, right? We talked about that. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that when they let them have what they asked, thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. So there's a count for you. 600,000 men plus women plus children. So a whole bunch. So we're talking millions of Israelites are now exiting Exodus, right? They're leaving Egypt, and they're leaving their wealthy. Let's read the rest. A mixed multitude also went out with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes when they arrived of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, and they could not wait, nor they prepared any provisions for themselves. Literally millions of Israelites leave wealthy, fat, rich, with wealth and cattle and herds. Like God has provided for them. See, they could have, if God had answered their prayer their way, they would have gotten out of Egypt and they'd have been broke out in the desert. That's where they're out in the wilderness, broke Israel, there they are, but not slaves anymore. Instead, God allows them to stay in slavery just a little bit longer while he plagues Pharaoh in Egypt and then allows them to leave a wealthy, prosperous nation. we got to push pause for a minute and say, okay, God, I know I've asked you for this, and I know I'm really wanting an immediate response, but maybe God just has a better plan. Maybe God is doing something unique that is actually for his glory and for my good. Like when I look at the coronavirus stuff, when I look at the restrictions on churches even, these are not what I'm praying we will be doing. Praying it'll be different, but I also trust that God is this God, that God's character is this, that there is a plan and it's for his glory and it's for our good. And I don't understand it. I'm caught in the mix right now, like Israel enslaved. I'm just caught up in the world. I live my life and all I can see is the world around me and the struggles around me. All I see and hear on the TV is the politics and the mess. And it just, and I can't see the plan. But I know God because I know there's a plan because of God's character. And God reveals himself in these moments. Verse 40, it says, The time that people Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. If you're a note taker, here it is. 430 years. Israel's in Egypt for centuries. And as, as slaves for some of it. After the exodus... They can see God's plan for them and how it was worth the wait. We need to know our struggles will make sense and have value one day too. May not be today. We may lose a loved one to coronavirus. Like there may be pain, real pain, real struggle. Not just limitations and things that irritate us, but there may be real, real struggle. It might be us that get sick or die, whatever, right? But we need to trust there's a plan, 
right? That God has a plan, it's for his glory, it's for our good. And that in that, we're including the plan because God is good. Verse 42, it was a night watching by the Lord to bring them out of the, hand of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. There's this momentous revelation of God to Israel, right? That will always be remembered. So here we are, what, like 3,500 years later. And here we are talking about this because God revealed himself. And, and because we don't want to have to be Israel enslaved in Egypt to learn the lesson, we get to learn it this way, right? We get to hear about there's a, a death that can cover your sin or there you can, take your, you can go your own way, right? We can hear that now. We can see that God had a plan for them even when they didn't see it, even when they were complaining, even when they were blaming Moses. Even then, there was still this plan. And it was a good plan. And it glorified God, which is most important. And it was good for the people, which is great. There's always that plan. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you've circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall break any of its bones. So I'm going to kind of just speed this up. And there was... There was rules, or there was uh, kind of a way they were supposed to celebrate this, and then other ways they were not. And when we do communion together as a church, which we're going to start doing outside now, um, and then online folks, when we can gather together, we'll figure that out, right? But there is it, this just like this, that that meal, that communion, the bread and the cup that we celebrate, that reminds us not only of Passover, but its fulfillment in Christ, that that is that is a, a symbol, or that is a meal, or that is the bread and the cup. That is for followers of Jesus, not just anybody. And again, we're back to that thing that God makes a distinction. The covenant promises of God are for God's people. And then all are welcome to be God's people, but the covenant promises of God are not for people who reject God. So when we do communion together, we always say that, that this is a meal for the family of God. And that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, come forward, do this, and become a follower of Jesus, right? You can do that at home. You don't have to do it with communion. We just invite people that way. Exodus 13, I'm going to close with a couple verses. Verse 1. This is right after the Passover, right after that death, mass death in Egypt. But it's also, you, gotta, you hear it from Egypt's side, but it's also right after the miraculous passing over of everyone, God protecting his people. It's right after God delivers them from slavery. It's right after all of this. Here's the very next thing. Exodus 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all of the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses says to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. Here's what God says to them. He says, If you hadn't done it my way, your firstborn would be dead. So I want you to devote the firstborn to me from here on out reminding us, you devote your firstborn to me. If that means the firstborn you have, 10 lambs, and you take the best one, the firstborn, you take that and you, you make a worship meal for me. You give that one to me. If your, son comes, your firstborn son comes out, you devote that son to me. If that means he goes and becomes a pastor or whatever it might mean, you let him go do that. Like You give the first of everything to me because remember, I restored and saved and redeemed the first of everything for you. Verse 10, it says, You shall therefore keep this statue as the point of time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, 
and shall give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that opens the womb, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if not, you shall redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. In other words, you will remember every time there is a firstborn. And either you will give it to God or you will redeem it, meaning pay for it. It's a story of redemption, that death brings life. That's from death comes life. That is the story of redemption. The redemption of the gospel is from our dead lives, from our jacked up messes that we bring to God, like here, I'm really a mess, can you fix me up? It's from that death that God brings life, but it's from the death of Christ and the life, the resurrection of Christ, that we are invited into that. And so it's this, it's this redemption story, and God says, you're always going to remember this. It's, it's like modern-day tithing. The, the principle behind tithing or giving in the church, right? A tithe is the first 10%, right? So if you get $100, the first $10 goes to God, right? That you will donate that to your church or whatever, right? So the idea is that first tenth, not just 10%, but that first tenth. It's the idea of remembering that God saves us, that God provides for us, that everything we have is then God's. And he doesn't want it all. He wants you to trust him, so you give him the first part, and then you live on the rest. So you give him your first animal, believing you'll have enough animals to eat or enough animals to work your labor or whatever, right? And if it's a son, you go and you pay for that. You redeem that, and you remember that others weren't so fortunate that God didn't, that those that were disobedient lost their firstborn. It's that ever-present reminder of the first death and the second death, that the lamb can be the death or that you can die. It's that, it's that reminder of who God is and that there are two stories, that there are two sides of this story to be on and that we get to choose which side of the story we're on. So I want to close with this just as a way of kind of giving us something to respond to and apply to our lives giving our best. The responsibility to those whom God has revealed himself is to give their best back to God. Those who know what has been paid for their life give their lives in response. Those who know what it costs Christ to give us life, we then give our lives in response to that, right? It, it is our job, it is our responsibility. In fact, I would say it is our joy as Christians to give our lives back to God knowing we have no life apart from him. Knowing that God has given us everything, knowing who God is, we respond in worship and obedience. And we do that, that worship and that obedience flows out of everything that we do. We give our whole lives to God. Generations Church, give everything to God. Give your whole self to God. You will never, you'll never ever regret it. This is the God who saves. This is the God who has a good, good plan. This is the God who has a better plan than even the ones we ask for. And when we're willing to be obedient, that's exactly what he'll do. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We are grateful for everything you have blessed us with, that you sent your own son, that you somehow, God, you became flesh for us, your son, Jesus, that you came and entered into our story and you did that so that you could die for us, that you could take our place like that little lamb slaughtered in a doorway, covered the people who were yours, marked them as yours. Then our marker now is Christ, that the blood of Christ covers our sin. Help us to understand that, Lord, to, to press into that more, 
to know our need for a Savior more, to understand the depths of our sin, but also to understand the riches of our Savior in Jesus. Help us to live in response to that, to give ourselves fully and wholly to you, God. Help us to live every day, even when we're caught in the midst of the struggles right now, help us to know there's always a, story, there's always a plan of redemption out there. There's always something you're doing for your people, and you're doing it to glorify yourself and to be good for us. Jesus, thank you. It's because of you that we stand here today with any hope at all. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.